I am a strong believer that uh, that everything happens for a reason and that life prepares you for things that you don't even know are are coming and headed your way. Thank you for listening to the Better Than Yesterday podcast hosted by Star Strength and Conditioning. We believe that by creating positive habits in sleep, mindset, nutrition, relationships, movement, mobility, and training, you have the ability to become better than yesterday. Hello, everyone. Paul here from Stark Strength and Conditioning, and uh, I'm here today with Mel Rower. She's been a member for over six years, and I'm excited to do this podcast with her because she's one of the nicest, most genuine people I've ever met, and I've uh, you know been looking forward to doing this podcast for a long time. And she's she's been through a lot as. Uh, you know, ever since she started here as a member and uh, she's dedicated. She pushes herself hard anytime she's in class. She's super supportive of everyone else in classes and uh, she's she's had a pretty amazing life so far and uh, kind of wanted to, you know, let her tell her side of the story of, you know, things that she's gone through and hopefully some of uh, her trials and tribulations and successes are going to be able to help you out. So welcome to the show, Mel. Thank you, Paul. How's it going, everybody? They won't answer back. I know. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm still getting used to holding this microphone, everybody. Paul had to teach me how to use this before we started. Yeah, and you still have to hold it a little closer I'm and talk trying. a little louder. <laughs> okay. So, Mel, who are you? Tell tell listeners who this girl is. Well, I, uh, I grew up in the country with my family just outside of Lorette. I went to school in Lorette with a bunch of people kind of from Ile de Chaine, St. Anne, that whole area. So I know a lot of people out that way. Uh, moved to the city a few years ago, and so I've kind of bounced around here, life-wise and work-wise, since then. Um, I was a pretty—I've always been pretty active. I was active as a kid. I played soccer and volleyball and stuff like that. And then uh, I've kind of come to the city and done kickboxing, and I've tried a few other things. And then I found CrossFit, and I developed just a, such a love for it. Um, Otherwise, I've, I've, my life is kind of like the movies is what I tell people. I've been through some, some pretty crazy things and uh, I don't even, there are like so many stories and people always ask me like how I've kind of gotten to where I've, where I've gotten now and I just, I mean, I've taken everything kind of day by day and I feel that's the best way that you can go about it. So it's a lot. Let's, it's a lot. Let's, it's yeah. a lot. <laughs> so let's start. Um, so your athletic background, you said you mm-hmm. played like soccer and volleyball. Was that like through school or were you playing on teams, community uh, teams? So stuff I like played, that? I played rec soccer kind of my whole life. I think I played like those little, little, uh, mini soccer mini when soccer? I was like five yeah. years old. And then I played until I was about 16, I think. Okay. Um, and then I got a job with the city of Winnipeg actually as a swimming instructor and a lifeguard. So that kind of took over and I started swimming more than I was doing other sports and anything else really. So, um, that kind of took over my life at the time and I had moved to the city. So I was working and, uh, and I lived in the city at the time. And, um, so when did you become a a swim instructor? I think I had just turned 17. So to become an instructor and a lifeguard, um, you kind of have to go through a whole bunch of courses and you need all these qualifications and then you apply. And so I primarily started teaching swimming lessons and then I was, uh, I was lifeguarding after that. And so, and that's when you were 17. Yeah, just 17. So what did you have to go through to become a lifeguard? What are all the different tests you had to go through? Oh my gosh, there's so many. (laughs) So, uh, you finish all of your swimming lessons and then you kind of go through the life-saving courses at the beginning. There are some called like bronze, bronze medallion, bronze cross, those, and then there are teaching courses. So there's water safety instructor and the national lifeguard course and um, life-saving and first aid instructor course. And so once you finish all of these courses and you apply for the city, then you have to go through um, another program of training based on, uh, so it's called the aquatic emergency response training, which is actually something I train all of our aquatic staff in now. Um, So you go through that. I don't even honestly remember how long that training was, but it's uh, it's a really it's a crazy process to go through and be, like just to even start working for the city as an instructor guard, and then you kind of have to recertify everything as you go. Um, so it's it's a it's a lot. <laughs> so what got you into like were you a good swimmer to begin with, or what got you on that path? Uh, so I was I was always a good swimmer, and I I did well in my swimming lessons, and then I thought the life saving courses were really really great, and so I took the first first couple and. Uh, 
found out that like what kind of courses that I needed to take in order to keep going um, and to become an instructor and work for the city. And so kind of decided that was the path I wanted to go at the time. Cool. So with that, you've been doing it for how long now? Uh, it's been about eight years now. So I, like I said, I started as an instructor and kind of moved my way up. A couple years ago, I applied and got a position as a supervisor. So um, I've bounced around a couple of different locations since then, but now I work from Cindy Clausen. So I'm a, a supervisor over that way, and I kind of run our programs and courses and things like that. So I really, I really love it. It's a, it's a really active, um, interactive kind of job, and I work with people. I mean, obviously not now with all this madness <laughs> in the world, yeah. but, uh, but I love it. I love interacting with people and just um, helping, to, helping people to be better. So it's been, it's been really good for me. Helping them to not drown. So. <laughs> that too, that's an important one. It is. <laughs> teaching, teaching the other lifeguards how to, how to lifeguard and teach, teach others not to drown as well. So yeah. that's a big part of it. <laughs> so have you had any like crazy stories of like, you know, people drowning and you having to like jump in and pull them out or has it been like, is it pretty quiet for you? Uh, for the most part, it's fairly quiet. I mean, we, uh, I mean, the city is all about prevention. So we're about making sure that everybody's safe and these kind of big, crazy things don't happen. Yeah. Um, everybody asks like, have you ever done CPR? And I'm like, no, nobody's no. died in front of me yet. So, yeah. <laughs> um, nothing too, too crazy, but, um, like a couple of something that's fairly common is just like suspected spinal injuries, which I mean sounds super super extreme, but we take our necessary precautions. And so if somebody like hits their head on the on the diving board or on the side of the pool, things like that, we want to make sure that we immobilize them and pull them to the side until the paramedics get there. And the paramedics usually kind of take them out of our spine boards and stuff like that. And it shocks us when we see it, but they, I mean, they know a lot better than we do. And so. Um, we, again, we take all of the necessary precautions, but I haven't dealt with anything super extreme. So. Thankfully, that's good. Mm-hmm. We tra- we're, we're trained in so many things. Like if somebody had a, a stroke and a seizure and a heart attack all on the same day, like we could, we yeah. could deal with that until the paramedics got there. But those kind of things, like they don't, they don't happen too often. So it's, it's lucky in that's in that sense that we don't have to deal with those kinds of major incidents too often, but that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that that's kind of how we ended up meeting with Mel. Yeah. Um, we ended up having uh, one of our Stark Games workouts. It was in the pool at EK there. And then uh, she was kind of in charge of, of that side of things. So do you want to kind of mm. tell us about that a little bit? Yeah. So they uh, they had asked me to come in. I think it was over, the, over a weekend, right, that the competition was happening? It was happening? a Saturday, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they asked me to run the pool that wasn't going to be open for anything else. And so they needed somebody to be in charge of that event and to, to, uh, be there and run everything while the pool was open. So, um, so I thought it was super cool. There was this group of super fit, beautiful looking people that came into the pool and they did, um, part of their competition at the pool. And so I started talking to a lot of the, a lot of the athletes and the coaches and stuff. And so they had kind of convinced me to come and watch the rest of the competition, which was at the older location of our gym. Stark on 1.0. Bra- Brazier, yeah. right? Brazier. Brazier. No, it was Brazier. Yeah. Brazier. Um, and so I, one of my, one of my coworkers tagged along with me and we went to watch the rest of the competition and uh, started talking to Paul and a couple of the other coaches and ended up, long story short, signing up for a, an introductory class and, uh, Maybe a week or two after that, I think I came in for my class and I just loved it. I thought it was crazy, but it was the coolest thing. (laughs) And I just, all I wanted to do was come back and do more. So I, at that point, I think I signed up for my foundations and that was that, that was my base camp and went through and never looked back. And it's been like six years now. It's been a long time. I haven't been like always consistently coming here. Like I've had some breaks and some downtime in the in between, but I mean, this is a place that always keeps me coming back. So I love it. No, you're pretty, you're pretty consistent. It's, it's cool seeing like the progression of when someone starts what they're capable of doing. And then, you know, the more you come, the more you do, the more you're exposed to, the, mm-hmm. the better you get. So yeah. it's, it's cool seeing like your well, level even, of progression. Over yeah. The years. Even just the way that my body has changed and like the how much better my technique has gotten with all of our lifts and everything that we do from, from the beginning or even from a couple years ago till until now, like I feel, I feel really strong, which is amazing. And this place has been a huge part of that. So part of it's the, the attention that you pay when you're moving and stuff like that. And whether coaches are giving cues just to, you know, you're, you're someone who focuses on that and like really wants to do well. So Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when people come in, most people are pretty good at it. Some don't, you know, 
try as hard as they <laughs> probably could. Um, they, they don't always last that long, but, uh, the people that are like, you know, that want to move better, that want to get more out of it, you know, you being one of them for sure. Um, put in that extra time and that effort and it's, it's really cool to see. So how, I guess the, maybe the, the pre CrossFit Mel versus CrossFit <laughs> Mel, the CrossFit action figure mm-hmm. Mel, like what kind of differences have you noticed, whether it is like physical or like even just mentally and in, in the rest of your life? Uh, well, I mean, physically for sure, I've noticed a huge, huge difference. I'm, I'm faster, I'm more efficient, I'm stronger and more um, jacked, <laughs> more jacked. Um, and like mentally, honestly, like I think that CrossFit has taught me a lot of patience and persistence and just like the fact that when you put work in, you do see results. And when you try, you see results and you have to, you have to put like apply yourself in order for that to happen, which I think is super important. And I've learned that over the years from CrossFit and from other things that have happened to me in life as well. So I think that it's like, you can never stop working on yourself and it's been, CrossFit's been amazing just to keep me consistent. And I love the coaching and I struggle a lot with self-motivation. Really? <laughs> I do. I do. On my own when I'm working out, even just, even just getting started, I'm really like slow moving. I'm Never would have guessed that. <laughs> but I love, that's why I love coming here so much because it holds me accountable. I come in and I'm being coached and I'm being... Um, I love, I love the classes. Like if we're doing something for time and you're one of the last people going, like everybody else is sitting there cheering you on and you've got like all this extra motivation from everybody else. And the energy is so amazing in this place. Like it's always been such a, it's always been a really happy motivational place for me. So I really, it's been, Starks, Starks been really good to me. Oh, well, that's awesome to hear. And it's, Mm. you know, it's, it's part of what you put into it as well. I know people can come in and not not engage or not Im- immerse themselves in the, uh, the community, the culture, the, you know, I- I'm not going to say cult, it's not a cult, but like, <laughs> <Not quite>. um, <laughs> but when, you know, if, if you come in and you keep to yourself and you're like, Oh, I don't know, you know, what these movements are, or I can't do like, you know, what she's doing. I can't do a pull up or I can't mm-hmm. do a handstand push up, And, you know, not everyone can when they come in, but, um, do you, do you remember what, you kind of felt like when you started like w- were you overwhelmed with stuff or were you like hey this is cool like I'm just gonna come in and try my best or uh when I think when I first started the biggest thing that I realized is that I had so much to learn um when I came in to do found like the I think it was called foundations at the time base yep. camp now um even just things like squatting and doing push-ups properly I wasn't I wasn't doing any of that properly I played soccer my whole life we did a lot of cardio and push-ups and things like that and even squatting for warming up and Um, and I don't even think that I ever learned how to do any of those movements correctly until I started coming here and I got coached on how to, how to modify my movements and how to do things properly. So I thought that was really, there's, I've learned so, so much. Like even, even now I love the coaching because they're always giving you some kind of something to work on, which I think is really amazing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's always the goal. Like no matter how long you've been doing this, no matter how fit and strong you are, you can always move better. You can always do things better, get more out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's definitely something that we want to see for everyone here. So, and most people are, you know, obviously trying to get better and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting challenge because you like, you never get there. You're Mm -hmm. never going to be, you're never going to be done. You never stop working on yourself, which is, which is huge. But I also love the class settings when, um, like, because you're working at with working out with people at different skill levels. And so sometimes like I'll be watching different people, for example, my toast bar, which I've been working on. (laughs) Paul's seen me get real frustrated working on my toast bar. (laughs) You you get quiet. You don't get too, like, you don't get too lit up. It's just, you know, there's maybe a little like, uh, and then yeah, frustrated and quiet. (laughs) Um, but even things like that, like I love watching other people do it because other people have different techniques like what they do with their legs, how they swing and different things. And so it's just, and then for other things like squatting, which is something that I've always been strong with, um, and then giving other people pointers just based on things that I have learned and ways that I've gotten better at it. So I think, I just love how interactive CrossFit is. I, I think it's really, yeah, it's just keeps everybody going and moving and, and active, which is really good. Cool. Movement is medicine. Got to keep moving. That it is. <laughs> so Outside of work and the gym, what uh, what do you do to keep busy? What are your hobbies, Mel? 
Uh, one of one of the bigger ones for me is traveling. I really I love to travel. Um, I spend a lot of time in BC, so just on the west coast. I have a lot of family and friends out that way, um, and so I spend I usually once once or twice a year I'm out that way, and I spend a good amount of time kind of bounce around and see all my people. Um, I went to Peru last year, which was really incredible. I hiked the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu, which was four days living on a mountain, which was just one of the most incredible things I've ever done. Um, it was it was incredible. There are people who so there's a group of they're called porters who carry everything with uh, with you. So they have all of the food and the tents and the water and just all of your supplies and your extra clothes and things like that. Like for the four days, and they are running up and down the mountain. They're passing you like our our guide. She would go porter porter coming, and we'd move to the to the mountainside so they yeah. could all run past us with all of our stuff, and we're looking at them like, man, these people are crazy. <laughs> A different kind of fitness. That's incredible. Cool. Like they are incredible humans. I, they're I, super humans. I couldn't even, I can't even describe it. Probably, but um, Probably pretty lean too, huh? Oh yeah. It's, <laughs> it's insane. They're just oh, incredible people. But that's, I, I love, I do really love to travel. I love to go to different places and see different cultures and learn about the way that people live in different places. I think that's really amazing. Yeah. Um, just cause it's eye opening. It gives you a different perspective on things. Like it's, Anywhere that I've gone, life is very different than our lives lives are here. And so it's just, it's eye-opening. It's really, it's really amazing. So travel is probably top of my list for my, uh, my hobbies outside of work and work and life. So where's the next place going to be? Ah, oh, I, I would, Thailand is big on my list. So at some point I'd really love to backpack Thailand. So that's a eventually idea. That's what I'm aiming for. So when, when we can start traveling again, yeah, when we can start living again, yeah. Okay. We're not talking about COVID, Paul. No, no, I know. Stay away from that. <laughs> so with, uh, when you were in Peru, like mm-hmm. what was your, what did you think about life out there for, for people that live there? Uh, people, I feel that people really, um, they live on what they have. They're very, uh, they live, they live, oh, sorry, that doesn't make any sense. Um, they they know what they have and they live they live very modestly they um they're very humble people yeah. and it was amazing there was one day that we went to the valley um and we spent a day kind of in the life of of some of the pe- the local people there and so we we worked in the field with them to kind of earn our lunch and they made us lunch yeah. and everything and everything was local on um, the people who live in the valley they don't go to the cities they don't go to they don't go to uh, Lima or to Cusco they stay in the valley so they live off of what they've got which i think is really amazing that's not something that i've ever known yeah um which it's yeah it's just a completely different kind of life well and then what were their what were their homes like there uh, they were basically, I mean, if anybody here was to describe it, it would be a shack. Um, even when it came to politics, they they painted the faces and the names of the politicians that they wanted to vote for on their houses and on the walls. And and it's just completely, completely different than anything I've ever seen before. It's it's amazing to, to see the way that other people live. So just very, very basic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just wow. just everything that they need, nothing... They don't have like wants and desires like we do here. It's completely different. They can't order things online and have yeah. them come in the net in, in two days from Amazon. Like they, they live with what they have. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I guess they don't have that exposure to all the different things and options too. Like I'm sure if we had them here and, you know, they were coming into the gym or your house or whatever, they, it'd be like yeah, looking around be, like, what the hell is they'd this? They'd be stuff? so lost. They'd be in awe. Cause even, I think that even things like cell phones, like for the people in the mountains and in the valley, like yeah. they, the only reason they ever see them is because tourists are going through there. It's just, yeah. and t- taking pictures of them. Like I've got pic- pictures with, uh, with the local people and, and it's just, it's incredible. I just, yeah, I couldn't even can even imagine living that way but they can't i'm sure can't imagine living the way that we do either so yeah oh that's interesting mm-hmm. every everywhere that we've we've traveled like say Lori and myself for example um it's always interesting seeing how different people live what they live off of and mm-hmm. it's just it's kind of eye-opening too so mm-hmm. oh absolutely it is yeah everything that we have we're like very you know very lucky that we have the ability to you know, to have a gym like this and, and, you know, the, the food that we have and everything is mm-hmm. like at our fingertips. It's, yeah. it's pretty unbelievable, but to have people actually like work off the land to be able to have everything that they have, that's so, I, I'd say foreign to us. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
So that's the thing. They they grow everything out there. That's they just they live off of everything they've got. It's amazing. No solar panels, no nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I wanted to talk to you about say one of I would I guess it would be one of the more life changing events that you've gone through. So um, I know it was years ago that you had lost your your brother in a, mm-hmm. a car accident. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just wanted to kind of ask you about that and, and all the things that you had gone through and, uh, it was, yeah, it was the the craziest time of my life at the time. I mean, I've kind of been through some insane things since then, but, uh, I still, I still remember the morning that I, that I had found out I was, I was in bed and I looked at my phone and I had a bunch of missed calls from, from both of my parents and I, I called them back and I don't, I don't think I even believed it when they told me, um, that my, my little brother had been, my brother's four years younger than I am. Um, he'd been in a car accident and that he had passed away the night before. And it was just, it, it was surreal. I think that when these kind of crazy tragedies happen, it takes a long time for it even to, to register and to become real in your, in your mind and your, in your world, because it's something that you don't think that would ever happen to you. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I had found out that my, my little brother had been in a car with, um, with a friend, I guess they had left a party and, um, his friend was, was intoxicated and had, had been doing some drugs and and that, and he was speeding down a highway and he ended up rolling the car and my brother was ejected and I, don't, I won't go too into it because it's a yeah. pretty it's a pretty tragic story but uh and some days some days I can talk about it like this and it's okay and other days they're they're like no I have no words there yeah. there's no way that I can I can talk about it but um but it was definitely definitely life-changing um obviously he was he was my only sibling so that was a big um, it's just, it takes a long time to figure out how to navigate your life again and to kind of move forward. I think that I was, I was really stuck at the time and I didn't know, I didn't know how to deal with it or, or which way to go or how to, how to move forward. And so I kind of shut, shut down and I shut out the world and I, I just kind of kept working and kept going and, and, and that was it. And I slowly kind of reintroduced people and, and normal life back in again and like uh, with my family and everything too. So that was a big, it's just even like planning, planning the funeral and things like that. All of these little things that you never, you never think that you'll have to go through. And then all of a sudden that's, that com- consumes your entire life. So it's, it's, it's pretty insane, but. Um, and that was four years ago, right? That was so in 2016. Yeah. And four years ago, which still, yeah, some days, some days like, uh, it feels like it, feels feels like another life it feels like I've lived like multiple lives yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty crazy does but, it ever um, feel like it was just yesterday mm-hmm. sort of thing too it, it does but it, like more often now because I mean I've, I've been in a pretty bad car accident too so more often now it, it feels like another lifetime yeah um not so much like yesterday it feels like it was so 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 long ago because so much has happened since then um well and and there are actually Paul and I were just talking about this earlier just that little little things kind of bring memories back of little, of like I've recently been thinking about like when my brother and I grew up and what we used to do and the house that we lived in and things like that. So it's funny how, um, how little things trigger, trigger your memory. Like you, like you don't expect it to. So yeah, you don't even pretty, remember that they're there. Sort yeah. Of thing. Yeah. That's the thing. Like you don't even realize that stuff is still in your brain and then suddenly it pops in there. But, and you were pretty close with them. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was my brother and I against the world. Uh, we had a, um, my family wasn't super, super happy when I was a kid. So we kind of, it was my brother and I against the world. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was really tough. Just, uh, kind of figuring myself out on my own after that. But, um, but I mean, that's the thing, like what they say about what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I can vouch for that being absolutely 100% true. So, yeah. so what, what did you do? So after he had passed away, after the funeral and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you said that you had gone and, and shut everyone out. Did you just mm-hmm. feel like that was the easiest way, just not talking to people or what? Um, I mean, I've, I've, my default setting is that I'm fine. I'm yeah. okay. I'm fine. How are you doing, Mel? I'm fine. Because uh, when, when crazy, tragic things happen to you, people, people look at you with a lot of pity. And I really, really hated that. That was, that was, I think, the thing that got to me the most was just that people would, 
Like, how are you doing? And how's it going? Like, talk to me like I'm a human because (laughs) I'm still a human. Um, And I know that everybody means well. And that's the thing. Like, I felt, I felt really, there were a lot of times when I felt insensitive and I felt like I just had no feeling because everybody wants to do or say something and they don't, like, they don't really realize that there's not really anything they can say or do that helps. Like, yeah. it's, it's super overwhelming. Uh, like at my, my brother's funeral, there were f- over 400 people. I think the, the church was packed full. Anybody that I have ever known growing up until I was, I was 22 when it happened. So, um, anyone, anyone I'd ever known was in that church and yeah. I had such a hard time. <laughs> I had gotten up to, uh, to say my piece and I almost couldn't even get words out because I was so overwhelmed by the, just the volume of people and the amount of, like, I don't even think I had believed that it was real yet at that point. Cause it was, about, I think about a week after and it was just, uh, yeah, it was even now some days it doesn't feel like it, it was something that actually happened to me. So, yeah, it's, it is like going through helping to plan a funeral and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. just, I remember sitting there like with my family for, for my mom's funeral and stuff. And, and it just, it doesn't seem real. Like, and even mm-hmm. the funeral didn't seem real. Like it's just, yeah. Yeah. It, it was. takes a while to set in like you, you had said. And it's, you know, when it's an accident, when it's something like, you know, your, your brother being taken from you and it, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, you know, an expected thing or anything like that. Yeah. I think that would so make sudden. it even tougher to, to comprehend yeah. and, so how long did it take until you kind of, and I know like you're never going to recover from that, but like when did you realize that, hey, I got to start letting some people in and, and just like, you know, talking and, and being me again? I think I, it might even have been like a couple of years. Um, it was a very, it was very, very slow progress that I made with that. Uh there were also, after the fact, we had a whole bunch of court dates and trials and things like that that we had to go to. So it, it didn't feel like it happened, but then we dealt with it for, for two years after the fact. Um, so we only had the final trial date um, with the sentencing trial in October of 2018. So right. it took just over two years to kind of wrap up everything and finalize um, all the court dates and stuff like that. So I think that after that point, I had finally kind of started to started to live again, and I started to kind of find myself again, and I was not so, so lost. Um, one of the bigger things that made a difference for me was writing, um, so it's called a victim impact statement. So it's something that you read out in in court that outlines how the, so the crime of the person who, who caused the crime, or, um, sorry, the how the crime has affected you and your life. And so, um, that took me, it took me a long time and a lot of, a lot of sleepless nights kind of just sitting there and, and writing that and going through and and deciding what I wanted to say, because you, so you read it out in court on the sentencing date. And so the, the accused and the of the families on both sides of the court case hear it. And then it goes on public record. So it's available for anybody else to read. Um, so that was a big one, and I, f- I felt that uh, that I had said everything that I needed to say, and so that made a huge difference. Um, just gave me some closure, and after that point, that like the court cases were finally over, and we could finally move forward. So that was really huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I think at that point, yeah. So two years oh. all said and done, I kind of started to really live again, and I found like found a way to move forward. So that would be tough. Like with going to mm-hmm. court and reliving it over and over and over again would be very yeah. challenging to, to have closure before that too, because mm-hmm. you're just being reminded of it over and over. Yeah. Again. Well, and there, there is no closure before that point because when you're, when you're in court, they, they go through the entire, the entire scenario that they will read from beginning to end every single detail. And so there yeah. were things that I didn't even know, um, that I found out while I was sitting in court as they read through the details of the accident and how it happened and, right. and how things how things went um, and all these other factors that played in that I didn't even didn't even realize because it's it's just a whole lot. Yeah. 
Well, they're they're not going to go and give every detail to the mm-hmm. family, right? Like, well, right that's exactly it. And so they tried to tell us as much as they possibly could and give us as much information as they could. But even then, like, there are still yeah. there are still things that you don't know because it's it's or impossible. Don't, so don't need to know right away. Well, sort of thing it's too. that too. Yeah. So that that hit that hit all of us pretty pretty hard at the time. But but I definitely felt like I was able to start kind of moving forward again after all of that was over. So. So what, what are your feelings towards the, so the, the guy who was driving the car, right? He, he ended up mm-hmm. being okay with, uh, well, not okay, but he was still, he had injuries, right? Uh, yeah. Then, so he had some severe brain damage and some injuries. Um, but so his name is, his name is Brayden. I won't give any other information, but he, uh, it, it was, it was a tough situation because he was a friend of my brother's. It wasn't, it wasn't a stranger. It wasn't somebody that we didn't know. He was, he was a friend of my brother's. Um, and so I think even from the very beginning, I, I knew that like, you know, it's not something that anybody meant to happen. It's not something that anybody would ever have planned or imagined or, and, and going back, like I know that he would have like he would not have done what he, what he did. Um, and so I had tried to keep that in my mind the whole time, kind of going through this and going through write, writing my statement and all of that. And, uh, and I, I gave him a hug when we were in court because, um, because my, I could only, I could only imagine how, like what he was going through. I was trying to kind of put myself in, in his shoes because he was like, he was responsible for, for that and for, for the death of, of a friend of his, which is, I, I can't imagine that either yeah. as, as I'm sure he couldn't imagine what I was going through. And I remember going up to, going up to him and his group of his family at the time. I just, I just had to look him in the eye and tell him I didn't hate him yeah. because I, I just needed him to know that. Cause we, we watched him get taken away and go to like, get him, they took him away to go to jail. So that was, that was hard to, it was hard to watch, but I, I knew that he knew that I didn't, I didn't hate him. So, uh, and that he didn't mean for it to happen. I think that was something I needed to say and something he needed to hear. Yeah. That takes, that takes a lot for you to be able to do that and to say that, uh, you know, especially with how close you were with mm-hmm. your brother. Well, and, and I, I knew him. That's the thing. It's like I said, it's not, it wasn't a stranger. It wasn't somebody yeah. we didn't know. So how long had they been friends for? Um, I, I'm not honestly sh- too sure a few years, I think, cause they yeah. went to school together. I went to school with his sister. So yeah. his older sister. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty unbelievable. And then, you know, even, even more recently you were in another, well, you were in a car accident. That I and, was. And, um, yeah, that that I remember um, you calling and uh, and I was like, hey, Mel's calling, and I, I answered the phone and I'm like, hey, how's it going? And um, and you had told me that you were calling from the hospital mm-hmm. and that you had been in a, in a pretty severe car accident and and my jaw just dropped and um, yeah, I don't know how you want to <laughs> maybe start that off, but it's a dark podcast, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So like I said, my life has kind of been like the movies. I don't really know anybody else who all this crazy stuff has happened to. Um, but in, uh, so in 2018, so my brothers was in 2016 and 2018, um, my boyfriend at the time and I were on our way to Steinbach to go to his uncle's funeral at the time. Um, and, uh, we were, we were on the number 12 going to Steinbach and we were hit head on, um, at highway speed. And, uh, the car was, the car flew in the air and kind of barrel rolled a few times and landed in the ditch upside down. Um, just, it was crazy apparently. So I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember any of this. I, uh, I lost five days of, five days of my memory. Like I kind of very, very vaguely remember leaving, leaving the city to go to the funeral in the morning that day. And then after that, I lo- like, I don't even remember the first few days in the hospital. I had hit my head, uh, Pretty hard, pretty hard. Um, my boyfriend, who had been driving at the time, passed away in the accident. He passed away. Um, they ha- they were airlifting him to the hospital, and I think that it was in the in the helicopter that he he had passed away. Um, and so I had woken up in the hospital. Um, it was I had broken. I had never broken anything in my life, and then I broke all of my bones and my whole body all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> So I, 
it was, uh, again, kind of one of those things that you don't believe. I, uh, I didn't know why I was in the hospital and people kept having to tell me what was going on and what had happened and that kind of thing. And, uh, just because I, I couldn't keep it in my, in my brain, I couldn't remember. I had, a I had a pretty severe concussion and a brain bleed and some skull fractures and some, just some pretty extensive injuries and a broken arm and a bunch of places and broken ribs. Um, you, just talking about it sounds so insane. You were pretty, you were pretty messed up when I, I yeah, um, <laughs> people, people who came to visit me at the beginning, um, a couple of my best friends, like they, they thought that I had brain damage because I acted like a child in the hospital because I was on so many, yeah. so many medications and so many drugs at the time that I was not making any sense. I acted like a child. They thought I was like, they thought I had some severe brain damage at the time. Um, luckily, I did not. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> you had some swelling and yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's. It's the craziest thing that's ever happened to me, for sure. I thought I'd been through, thought I'd been through the worst of the worst, and then, uh, then I woke up in the hospital and found, found out how different my life was going to be going forward. And so, so it's kind of yeah, it's one of those, I would say one of those things, but that doesn't happen to anybody. No, no. And like you, you had sent pictures of what the car had looked mm-hmm. like, and it's unbelievable that you you survived that. Yeah, it's I uh, like the roof. I don't know if the roof was ripped off because of the accident, or that's what the the paramedics or and uh, firefighters did to like get you out of the car or um, whatever. So they they told me that bystanders had so I guess the car had landed upside down in the ditch and so bystanders had come and flipped I guess I was I was awake and, and alert at the time and so they flipped the car over before the paramedics even got there and they got me out. Yeah. Um, I think in order to get uh, my boyfriend out of the car they had to cut the top off of the car and so that was the paramedics that wasn't part of the accident right. um, but I went my mom came with me and we went to go see the car at the MPI compound after the fact like once I was kind of mobile and out of the hospital again just because I just need like part of me needed to see it yeah I needed to see um, what had changed changed my whole I mean part of what had changed my whole life and I remember driving up to the car and my heart was pounding and it just so I drove a Honda Fit, a little hatchback, and it was just a small crunched piece of metal. All the glass was gone. It was just, it was just a piece of metal. It's incredible that I lived through it. I don't, I still don't understand how. It's, I it's don't, I don't, yeah. Unbelievable. Like mm-hmm. the, the photos that you had sent of that car, it yeah. was just like, I, you, you got away really, mm-hmm. really well. I know you were busted up in the hospital, mm-hmm. but it was unbelievable. So what... What did you think um, when you when you saw that car? I I mean I was I was speechless I was frozen I couldn't I couldn't believe it it was uh, it was it's in, it's incredible incredible that I lived through that because it does not look like somebody would have come out on the other side out of that car and especially being hit head on on the highway like at highway speed like it was. That's, that's, that's pretty crazy. I, I'm lucky that I didn't, I, um, I had like, so my glasses were gone. I mean, obviously, but I had broken a couple of my bottom teeth. I had some double vision. I had, uh, like glass my, my cousin was picking glass out of my forehead and out of my hair and stuff for a couple days after and broken my arm and stuff like that. Like it's, I'm, I don't know what I would have done if I broke a leg. I mean, I would have made, done the best that I could, but I'm, I'm really lucky that I, the most severe, um, bone that I broke was my, my humerus. I broke that one. So I can't, I can't believe that I was not, that I didn't have brain damage or that I wasn't worse than it, than it ended up being. So. Yeah. And so you're, you were still in the hospital too when, um, when it was Brian's funeral, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't, uh, I didn't get to go to his funeral. They had a videotape done of it so that I could see it after the fact. But, um, no, I missed I missed a whole a whole lot of life in a matter of a few days. Um, you were in the hospital for how long? Uh, for eight days. For was, eight days. It was only eight days. Only <laughs> people think that's so crazy. Yeah, eight days. Yeah. Um, and then you moved back in with your mom. Yeah. Right? So that was yeah that was another kind of unexpected life turn was that I so my boyfriend and I had been renting a condo on Osborne at the time so um, I had. After the accident, I ended up moving back in with my mom. So kind of over the next month or so, our landlords were really amazing and kind of gave us some time and some 
space just so that we could clear everything out. So, cause that was, that was one of, like, one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do as well was just going through all of our stuff in our home and our life and sorting it out and going through and packing up the clothes and the, the food and you know, just everything, our, our everyday life we had to pack up and, and move. Yeah. Um, but everybody was super wonderful and supportive through that. Um, like Brian's friends and family came and helped me and, uh, Brian's brother took like all of his clothes and a lot of his belongings and stuff like that. And we were kind of able to, able to sort everything out slowly, but surely, um, I was pretty broken, but it still gave me something to do. Um, I always have a harder time if I have nothing going on my, my brain runs in circles and I can't seem to get out of it. So having people around and things to do and just a purpose at the time was made a, a really, really big difference and everybody was so supportive. It was incredible. So what was your recovery like after that, Mel? You were pretty pretty banged up. I know there, there wasn't a lot that you could do. I know you had to help have help changing and stuff like that. Yeah, I, ha- I needed help with everything. <laughs> <laughs> down All the way down to like showering, getting dressed, all those kinds of things. Um, the arm, so my, it was my left arm that I broke and I'm, I'm left-handed. So that was, uh, that was pretty extreme. So um, my arm was in a cast, the top part of my arm was in a cast. And then I had a brace on my wrist after a few weeks after they took a cast off because I also fractured my, my radius and my ulna. Um, so that's all three bones in my arm that were broken <laughs> in my dominant arm. Yeah. Um, so I learned to brush my teeth with my right hand and to eat with my right hand. And I'm, I'm fairly ambidextrous. So I was really, really lucky that way that I was able to kind of make do with with what I had at the time. So you weren't poking yourself in the eye <laughs> yeah, with a fork or it was, anything? It was a, but it was definitely a learning curve. I, I, uh, it took a lot of time and a lot of practice just to be able to kind of function doing everything with my right side just because I was so, so, so broken. Um, even just sleeping. So I had, uh, like I said, I had fractures in, my, in the base of my skull as well. So I was wearing a neck brace for about eight weeks. Um, and then all my, I think there were seven of my ribs that were broken in a bunch of different places, primarily on the left side. Um, so I had just to lay down and sleep was a chore because my arm was broken. My ribs were broken. Laying down was, was painful. And with a neck brace and everything else, like there's, it's just almost impossible to be comfortable. Um, so all around that was, that was pretty, that was a lot of work. It was a, it was a challenge for sure. Um, so you said two months in that neck brace. How long did you have the cast on for? Uh, the cast was on for about a month and a half. So that was yep. on my whole arm. And then once they took the cast off, I had they gave me the brace. Um, we were pretty sure that they were going to put another cast on at least for a while, but they gave me a brace and let me move my arm around. So that was pretty... Exciting. Um, I was say pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty cool, but not really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so I do have... They put a plate on my humerus with, with pins to put my, my bone back together, um, which I saw in my x-ray, which I thought was, was pretty cool. So you can see all the, all the pins sticking in different places. <laughs> um, and I have a, I have a pretty substantial scar on my, on my left arm. Now I had, there were 39 staples. And, uh, so that was, that was another, all of these things that you've never, that I had never experienced before. I got to experience within a, within a few months. So I remember going to HSC, I spent a lot of time there. Um, all the follow-ups and stuff. Going to HSC, the one appointment was to take all the staples out. Yeah. Um, so there were the 39 staples. My mom was counting as they took each one of them out. Couldn't um, round it couldn't up, Couldn't have huh? been 40, yeah, I know. exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so then I had, uh, you can actually still even see the little dots from where all the staples were too. So yeah. Um, and I don't know if it makes me a weirdo, but I think it's kind of cool. I've got a plate in, on, in my arm and I got a huge, huge scar. So it's just battle scars from everything I've been through. Yeah. Just point to it. And this yeah. was from this. And, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm so lucky though, because uh, that's the thing. I, I, a lot of things happened around, around my face. Like I'm lucky I didn't lose an eye or something, but I, I had double vision for, for a couple of months. And then, uh, so everything of everything, all of my injuries that I had, that was the scariest one. Um, just because everything else I knew would get better. Um, my ribs, I knew would heal. They had me doing breathing exercises, um, things like that. The breathing exercises were also for my, for my lungs. Um, one of my broken ribs had punctured my lung and then I had a blood clot in my lung. So it just kind of never ended all this endless list of injuries that I had. Um, so I had like the breathing exercises were to strengthen my lungs as well as kind of push my rib cage out and, and help to, Helped to uh, push my my ribs back out into place again, so I was doing a lot of that. 
Um, physical recovery, it was a lot. It was a, it was a lot of work, but it was, it was, I mean, nice is not the right word, but it was, it was nice to have just a, like something to work on. Um, people, people are always surprised when I tell them this, but I think that, um, I think I'm really, I'm really grateful that I was in the accident with Brian. Um, just because if I had lost two people in a matter of two years to car accidents, I, I would have hated the world and I don't think that I would be okay right now. Um, but it's because I, like I, it gave me something to fight for. Like I had to fight for my, my health and my mental and physical stability, just, just something to work towards and something to work on and to work on myself. I think that was really, uh, really huge with my recovery, both mentally and physically, just that, that I had a purpose and something to fight for. So your, your physical recovery. I, I remember you coming in here when you were still kind of busted <laughs> up. Your cousin had like taken you out on a little, on, yeah. yeah. <laughs> taking you here like you're on a field trip with her yeah. or whatever and just kind of like sat and chatted and stuff mm-hmm. like that and mm-hmm. um yeah it was it was interesting just you know talking to the two of you mm-hmm. and like you were excited to get back into things and your cousin's like yeah it's gonna be a little <laughs> bit but you're just like oh yeah I, I can't wait and <laughs> my cousin's oh she's a crazy personal driver <laughs> yeah no, that's cool that you had that, that you had that support mm-hmm. and like, you know, the family that's there yeah. that you care and, and your cousin was your physio too. So mm-hmm. well, she, she was, was my, she was my physio at the beginning. Like technically she's yeah. not allowed to treat me. So she just kind of helped me get set up in her clinics with different physiotherapists. But I mean, my cousin's like a sister to me. She and I are super, super close. So she was, she was one of the strongest, most supportive people through my whole, my whole recovery, which was amazing. So she helped me get changed and shower and oh. <laughs> her and my mom, they're my my go-to supportive people so so did that bring your relationships with others like family members closer to you or did that you know did that strain relationships or how did that work for you um I mean a little a little bit of both uh I even if I through all my whole recovery from the day that I got home like to my mom's house to um, to when I started kind of going back to life and work and things like that like I could, was not left alone deeply. <laughs> I couldn't be alone if I tried. There was somebody always coming in, somebody here to visit, someone here to help me, someone to drive me around. Um, and for a long time, I couldn't even, I couldn't drive. So I had to get other yeah. people to bring me to my appointments and stuff like that. My mom stayed off of work for a while with me so that she could bring me to HSC. It was like once or twice a week, almost at that point at the beginning. And, um, so definitely, definitely strengthened my relationship with my mom for sure. Um, I was always close with her and she's always been, she's always been a rock and, and just a really solid, strong person in my life. But I mean, through, through the worst of the worst, like she has, she's been there and, uh, and yeah, she, she took care of me. She stayed home and she took care of me through all of that. Like it yeah. was, it's, it strengthened our relationship like crazy. Same with my cousin, like she and I were already close, but just to have, I'm not very good at letting people take care of me and letting people, I, I'm one of those, really? I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Paul knows. Yeah. I can do it by myself yeah. <laughs> kind of people. And so, um, that was something that I, it was a learning curve in that way as well, just because I needed people's help. It wasn't an optional thing. Like I had to let people cook and clean and help me get dressed and shower and stuff like that. And even just sitting down at the beginning was, it's just all these little things that, that we take for granted, I had to kind of learn again and I needed people to help me do them. So, so was that mentally tough at the time or did you, were you telling yourself like, Oh, this is only going to last for a bit or did you like, what was your, what was the mental aspect while you were going through that? Uh, it was kind of like a little bit all over the place, to be honest, just because some days, some days I was just really, really, really frustrated because I couldn't do things on my own and I couldn't, I couldn't function normally and I couldn't live. And I knew that it was going to be a long road and a long process just to get back to any kind of normal life. Yeah. Um, so mentally I, it was, it was tough just to kind of keep myself motivated and keep moving forward and and um, like the appointments at HSC and the follow-ups for everything made a difference too, just because I knew that I was, I was moving in the right direction and I was healing and I was getting better and things were moving forward. And the cast coming off was a huge, huge one because the cast was huge. Like the lady who put it on, she wrapped and wrapped and wrapped and wrapped it. It was like, I think yeah. you saw it. It was massive. Yeah. It was just a, I think that was part of how I strengthened my arm back up was just lifting yeah. that thing around all day. Yeah. Um, 
but things like that. It was nice to just know that I was moving forward and I was getting better and stronger as slow and tedious as the process was. At least I, at least I had that in my, in my sights. Like I knew that Still I was moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was huge. Um, and like I had, I had so many, so many people to help me through it. And, um, I spent a lot of time with uh, with Brian's family and his friends as well. Like everybody, everybody was there for me. Everybody supported me one hundred percent through all of it. Which I like. I I wish I could give back to back to everybody what they gave to me, and I know that I never could. But I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. (laughs) But people, like humans, humans are amazing, and people have definitely been. They kept me going through all of that, and they helped me recover. And I don't know. I don't know where I'd be without the people who support me. So. So I know you had mentioned um, when we had stopped for a sec there, you had mentioned that if you hadn't gone through um, what you went through with your brother, Mm -hmm. losing your brother, that it would have been so much tougher to go through the second accident. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I really, uh, I am a strong believer that, uh, that everything happens for a reason and that life prepares you for things that you don't even know are, are coming and headed your way. Um, if, uh, if my accident had happened and I hadn't been through anything traumatic previously, I don't think that I would have dealt with it as well as I had. Um, and again, obviously I had some really ups and downs and low points and things like that as that would be expected. But, um, I guess from, from my brother's accident, I kind of learned how to navigate those kind of situations. And just one that hit me really hard was just that, um, I really learned after my brother passed away that life doesn't stop. Um, everything else, like your, your world can stop, but the rest, the rest of everybody else's lives don't, everything keeps going, whether you are ready for it or not. Um, so I really, um, I really learned that after the first time around. And so the, 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 the second time, like when my accident happened, I kind of had a better idea of how, how things were going to go and, and how, um, how to move forward through, through some really crazy traumatic times. I I remember talking to you several times, whether it was like at the hospital or just like, you know, just sending you messages or, and stuff and just asking how you're doing. And I was blown away with how well you were doing. Like, I just, I thought this, like, she's in shock. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, anytime I talked to you was like, you seemed fairly normal and I was shocked about that. What Like, was your family or were your friends worried about that? Did they... Was there concern about that? Because it's just, it seemed almost too unreal. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, even, because um, even after my brother's accident, like people were kind of like, what are you doing back at work? What are you doing? Like, because the only, the only way I really know is just to, just to keep going. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I deal with things, whether, whether I'm with people or not. It just, uh, like you keep going and you make the best of it. And so after my accident, um, and and having people having people around all the time made a huge difference too because I didn't have that much time to sit and think and stew in my own thoughts, um, and like the whole kind of fake it till you make it thing like just keep going be strong and keep going and move forward and I definitely definitely had days where I didn't move I didn't talk I didn't I didn't think or feel or anything there were days when I was completely numb or there were days when I was super super emotional I was just a a wreck and a mess and um and then but most most days I had I had people around me and I had support and from anybody and everybody I again had heard from same kind of thing with my brother I'd heard from anyone I'd ever known and everyone wanted to know if I was okay or how I was doing and and wanted to help me in any way that they possibly could and so um that gave me a lot of a lot of motivation because it it reminded me that like that there are um there are really amazing people in my corner and on my side and and that really really helped me through it so so what was it like with the the physical recovery? I know, you know, you coming back into the gym, you were like taking it slowly. I know you had some limitations and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, how did you feel when you started getting back to, to some of this stuff? 
Uh, so I think that the first couple of classes that I came back to were yoga classes. They weren't actually CrossFit classes because there was only so much I could do with with weight. And I wanted to go and lift a barbell <laughs> and dumbbells and kettlebells and all this kind of stuff. But uh, I had to take it really, really slow and just kind of start with mobility work. Um, so the yoga classes were really, were really great for that. Those were taught by Jordan at the time. And she was super helpful because she kind of understood that I had some limitations and she modified some of the some of the stretches and the movements for me. So that made a really big difference. Um, and then slowly, but surely I kind of started to do things back in the gym again. I think I primarily started with just some dumbbells and kettlebells and working on, I remember doing like Turkish get-ups and just even just holding things over my head, which was a big, big, big feat at the time. Um, cause your elbow wasn't locking out right away, no, right? No, like- no, I couldn't even straighten my arm because, um, so when they first took it out of the cast, my arm was probably at about a 45 degree angle and I couldn't even straighten it. Um, so just just working on that mobility first was was huge. Um, I would just walk around my house even carrying something a little bit heavier every time just so that I would kind of stretch and straighten my arm back out a little bit. And at that point, I wasn't even sure if I'd get all of my mobility back. I really wasn't, uh, I didn't I didn't think I'd ever be able to straighten my arm again. And um, but I've, I've put in a lot of work and a lot of time and effort. And so now I think even when I first started doing overhead, anything after the accident, my arms were super lopsided. Yep. <laughs> my right arm hyperextends and the other one didn't straighten all the way. So that looked really, really, really sketchy, but, um, slowly but surely I've gotten my mobility back. And I think that I'm almost, almost back to where I was before my accident again, which I think is pretty amazing, but I've put, I've put, I mean, I've put a lot of work in, so yeah. Yeah, and that's going back to you really, you know, taking control of the situation and doing the best you can with where you're at all the time. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's that's all you it's can pretty, do. Pretty cool seeing the the progression that you've made, like physically, from you know when you came in with your your cousin chatting and mm-hmm. you know being all bandaged up and stuff, and to you know who you are right now, sitting in front of me, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. So. What do you think is the biggest takeaway you've had so far with some of the things that you've gone through with losing your brother, with losing Brian? Um, You've stayed very positive. Like I said during the the intro to this podcast, um, you are one of the the most positive people I know and one of the most genuine individuals I've I've ever met. And, uh, you know, how, how do you maintain that with all the the things that you've been through because some of the stuff that you've been through like no one will ever go through in their life even a fraction mm-hmm. of that yeah. and um yeah how do you I mean I feel how like do you, do you I feel like I've lived the life of like a 60 year old I'd say older yeah 80 90 because <laughs> yeah really I, I don't I don't know anybody who's kind of been through anything quite like what I've been through but I think that one of the one of the biggest things that I've learned is uh, just to take everything like really, really slowly, take things day by day, take things moment by moment, even just because um, the minute that you start to kind of look like I, I know that the big picture is also important and having goals and, and things that you want to achieve in life is is really important. But at the same time, you can't get there unless you unless you break it down and you take things things day by day. And another one is just that, just knowing that you're you're never alone. Um, after after my brother, I I felt really alone, and I kind of put myself there. I I shut everybody out, like to the point where a group of my friends had kind of gotten together after my accident and gone, well, we're not going to let Mel shut everybody out again, because <laughs> that didn't work out so well for me the first time. Oh. Uh, so it was it's it's been a learning experience all the way through, and uh, and people like. I don't know what I would do without humans. I need people so bad, it's crazy. Uh, I, I think it took me realizing that I was not alone, just also knowing that um, not only me, but also Brian's family and Brian's friends and, and my family and my friends were also going through all of this at the same time. Like you're never going through anything all by yourself unless you put yourself like I've, like I've done before, like you've, you put yourself in that kind of situation and you don't let anybody in. Um, so I really... Just knowing from previous experience, um, 
I really tried to tried to let people in and tried to let people help me, which um, not something that I was ever good at, but that I've gotten a lot better at. And even just asking people for help when I really needed it, because I've needed I've needed a lot of help and a lot of support through through all of this. And still I still do. I still have my my down, my really, really low points and my bad days. But uh, but I know myself well enough that I know I deal better with these things when I'm with other people or when I have uh, my family or my friends around me just to kind of help me through it. So people have made just the biggest difference in the world. So what would you, what would you tell someone who's going through some tragedy, tragedy, some, some type of life event that they just feel like they are, you know, alone and trying to go through this with their head down and, and, forge forward? Um, I mean, I, uh, just based on the fact that I've been through some, some traumatic things I do, if there are a lot of people that I have talked to who've been through not similar things, but I mean, tragedies or crazy things since then. And I just kind of tell them that I know that there is nothing that I can say or that anybody can say to help, help you or, or, uh, to make this better, but know that, know that you've got people and there are people who love and care for you and who support you. And it may seem super overwhelming and you may not want anything to do with anybody, but, but try your best to let them in because it will, it will make a big difference. Mic drop. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) I won't drop it. No. So yeah, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on and, and, you know, telling people about your story, your life, who you are, um, and I know there's there's a lot more of this story to write for you. Um, yeah, none of this was super happy today. But, uh, <laughs> we'll have to have another one in the a future. Distraction yeah. for people in the world right now. Yeah. So I want to thank you once again, Mel, for coming on, sharing your story, your perspective um, with others who who may need it. Is there anything else you want to add before we uh, finish up? Uh, I think it's just I think it's important to remember that. Uh, that life doesn't always turn out the way that you expect it to or the way that you plan for it to, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you kind of just have to make the best of it and you got to keep going and keep moving forward. Um, it's, I mean, I should know it doesn't, doesn't ever really go the way that you think it will. No. Um, but things evolve and you adapt and you change and, and you just have to take life on one day at a time. Also, just remember that you're not alone and that there are people who love and support you all over the place and so you got to let them in. Cool. Awesome words to live by, Mel. Mm. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Hopefully you are going to take something, if not many things, away from this podcast. Um, Yeah, we really appreciate you listening. And um, once again, I really appreciate you, Mel, for coming down and sharing this with everyone. And um, yeah, thank you once again. Thank you for having me. No problem. Hopefully everyone, like I said, did get something out of this podcast. I'm sure you did. Um, I'm still kind of like processing some of the stuff, even though I've I've heard a lot of it before. <laughs> That's it's okay. Still... I'm still processing most of it too. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully you guys can take some of this and it'll make you a little bit better than yesterday. <laughs> Thanks, Mel. Thank you for making the time to listen to the Better Than Yesterday podcast hosted by Stark Strength and Conditioning. If you liked our show, please head over to the iTunes store and give us a rating. If you have any questions or suggestions about topics you'd like to hear us cover or people you think should be on this show, please let us know so we can make it happen. Thanks again for listening, and we hope that this podcast makes you better than yesterday.